All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show, where I typically do these intros with the guest. Uh, but this intro I couldn't because when I ended the podcast, I had to go sit in stillness and meditate because it was the most transformative podcast interview I've ever done. I'm going to re-listen to it. And it changed my life and it changed my soul. So on today's show, we are joined by somebody who I consider a dear friend. He's like a father figure to me, like a mentor, an incredible human being, and it's Dr. Jeff Spencer. Um Dr. Jeff Spencer is 70 years old, and he's one of the most influential people I've ever met. He's responsible for over 50 gold medals. He has coached U2, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong, everyone you know. But my favorite quality of Jeff is Jeff leads heart forward, and he is a champion in everything that he does. We talk about how the Olympics were easier than adoption, how you can love anybody. You don't need a special reason, but the choice is yours. You always have to hold space for a miracle. We talk about the most important question that you must ask yourself every day. Life is a verb. Will and talent play a role, but winning is a learned skill that you can learn. You can find your champ. You can't find your champion. You have to wake it up, and he tells you how. How him blowing glass and classical music filled the soul of a champion. He talks about the three angels in his life that taught him how to love his body, his soul, and then humility and humanity. Um, how to win big consistently, repeatedly, and easily. And then the one that got me that I asked a really deep question on was learning how to win guilt-free and building a life on your assets. Make your skills stick so you don't get left behind. The five domains of your day that you have to intentionally master and how. Anything that is good requires discipline and application. And if you don't cross the finish line, you can't win. So believe in the vision that is gifted to you and the final one is, do you know how to listen to the whisper of insight? We cover that and a whole lot more in a very jam-packed, short, powerful, heart-centered episode. So Jeff, if you're listening to this, thanks for coming on the show. For you guys listening, let's cue the intro. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And today, I'm honored, I'm humbled, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm emotional to have the guest that I have because I don't think there's the words in the English dictionary to define this man. He's the champion's champion. He is the man behind the curtain. He is heart-centered, soul-grounded, loving, compassionate, empathetic, and has the sharpest edge when it comes to mindset and taking complex situations, breaking them down simply to help champions win and win even more. And he is somebody that I call a friend, a mentor. He's an amazing husband, an amazing father, an amazing leader. And the only thing that pisses me off is that we aren't neighbors and I can't see him more. <laughs> and so that's about the best justice that I can do for this man. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Jeff Spencer. Well, George, it's always a pleasure and, and back at you times a thousand. I love it, man. I love mm-hmm. it. I um, We have this pattern of like, we don't see each other for six, seven months. We catch up. It fills my bucket. It carries me. I see you again. Yeah. And then through the whole world of osmosis, everyone's like, hey, I'm doing this with Jeff. I'm like, great. And I kind of stalk you. So it's completely okay. Completely okay. Um, well, listen, back at you again. Time's a million. We just uh, up the ante here for all the right reasons. 
Totally, totally. And you know, you know, I don't, I can't think of a better way to start this show than to tell a quick story about how we met. I love this story. I I literally, (laughs) I think about it often. I really, really do think about it often. And so for everybody listening, just to kind of put this into perspective, this is probably five years ago or so I was transitioning out of uh, being a food blogger not knowing that I had a skill set, anything besides cooking and people were asking me to speak. And I ended up at consumer health summit in Arizona. And, um, I met Jeff and I met Jeff before my talk. I met him before my talk. And I was like, here's what I got. Here's what I'm doing. And I think a mutual friend introduced us. And I remember you walked me over to a bench. We sat down on the bench and, um, we had met previously at Jim quick's house. And then mm-hmm. you saw me at the keynote and you sat me down on this bench. You'd heard me talk and you're like, okay, listen, and I'll never forget this. You're like, I want you to strap, strap in and tighten your seatbelt because the rocket ship is about to go. <laughs> and I was like, what are you, what are you talking about, dude? Like, what are you talking about? And then this was 10 minutes before my talk. And then I go in to give my talk. And in the first one minute of my talk, I got triggered and saw red due to somebody in the audience. (laughs) And if it wasn't for Jeff's talk, I think I probably would have left, but instead I saw red and I turned into a raging bull and gave a very passionate, (laughs) emotional, (laughs) aggressive marketing talk on loving your conversation, which people loving your customers, which people still talk about to this day. And that was kind of the day that solidified uh, our friendship. And I'll never forget those words because uh, it's like you had the ability to predict the future because sure as shit, the rocket ship has taken off. It's crashed a few times. It's blown up a few times. I landed a few back on Earth and I'm still heading up into the atmosphere, <laughs> but it's good to be here. And so that's my favorite memory of you. So well, back, at, back at you, man. It was a sort of love at first sight, I guess, because it was soul to soul, heart to heart. I felt like we were in the foxhole together. You know, we have this countdown towards destiny and it can't be postponed. So let's decide that we're going to convert this and make this uh, an epic event that would serve as your entree into your greatness. So it, just again, it, it's almost as if we were sitting there today, quite honestly. It, it, you know what? It, no. it feels like feels like it. the time has collapsed and yeah, it's here. Absolutely. And like every time we catch up, it's absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's so profound. And, you know, it's funny because I got to experience what you do before I ever knew what you did. I just knew you were Dr. Jeff, like you were Uncle Jeff, like you were just there. Like I saw you and you're the guy who walks around and literally rubs everybody's shoulders and everybody knows you and you make eye contact and you open your heart and you open your body. And like you have this innate gift to see people where they are and see them at their potential. And I swear to God, you transfer that energy and transmute it into people because every time you come to my events, every time you're with my people, every time you even get on Zoom calls, People are radiating and vibrating when you're done. And that, my friend, is an absolute gift. And so I can't do this justice. And and so I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't ask this on the podcast, but I need to everybody to have some context because you're not a youngin in this game. You've been in this game for a long time, and you're like a walking wisdom piece. And so you have been coaching the best of the best, the elite of the elite, the top of the top, while also being the top of the top and an Olympian and involved in those worlds for literally decades and decades. And so I would love it if you could actually do me the pleasure of giving me the arc of your story, how you got here and what it is that you do. And I will lead you and guide you, but I need everybody to hear it from the man himself. 
Well, thanks. Well, when I was seven, I thought it'd be cool to be an Olympian. I just had this idea. I wanted to march into the parade uh, into the stadium on the opening day ceremony. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but that was sort of the target. And then when I was uh, 13, I showed some precociousness on a bicycle, and uh, I figured that maybe this is how I was going to do it. And then the first of my three angels came into my life, who was my cycling coach, and he was a three-time Olympian, five-time national champion. And he said, Jeff, look, you know, will and talent play a role in this, but actually winning is a learned skill, and I'm going to teach you how to win. And I'm going to invite you to uh, be part of my training group, and you don't do our training because you're get the uh, you're only like 13 and we're in our uh, early 30s we're all Olympians here but I want you to be around this level of conversation at your age because I want you to grow up and if this is for you to be inspired by because it's within you to listen and become one of us then we will have done our job so that was how I got that part of me activated because they didn't put something into me they awoke something within me that was already there and I followed diligently uh, the training and what they shared with me. And 10 years later, I was an Olympian. So that was, uh, you know, I checked off that box and, and certainly to say that it has had the most profound effect on me of perhaps anything in my entire life. Being an Olympian is a, it's a very, very uh, difficult journey. Um, you'll experience in a lifetime whatever you experience to get from where you are to that place where I did march in the stadium itself. And then, uh, between my uh, junior and sophomore year at the University of Southern California, where I was there on an educational opportunity scholarship because it came from a welfare family. Last time I saw Damit, I was 13. That's when I found my coach or the angel coach showed up in my life. Um, I uh, uh, then went on to receive my master's degree in sports science. So I, I understood, number one, as an Olympian, what it takes to get to the top and stay there. That was, an, that was a genetically part of my DNA. Uh, and then I knew the academic side of it because of the academic training. So I knew how to craft a body and I knew how to craft a mind that could push and put the right effort forth at the right time to become a full potential player. I, I had mastered that myself and I, I knew the, the biochemistry and I knew the biology behind that. And then when I was 18, to backtrack just a little bit here, I, I met my second angel and uh, it was an unlikely pairing because he was 76 and I was 18. And uh, he was uh, a true Renaissance man. He won an Emmy for uh, an award-winning film that was produced about his uh, creative philosophy. He was a metallurgist. He was a war correspondent, a playwright, a poet, uh, and uh, so he chose me to be his apprentice and creating his glass art masterpieces. Unlikely pairing again, you know, athletic ambition, student scientist now is a art apprentice to an art glass master. So that was a, another sort of an odd combination. But what he did, he said, I need to fill you up on a couple of things. So at the breaks that we would take, as I was assisting him, he would play to me classical music. He would read to me the great philosophers. He would show me the great literary works of history. And he said, I need to fill you up on this. And I had a capacity to absorb that side of uh, life's lens that brought out more of a, uh, should I say, a heart and soul of me where the first angel, the Olympic coach, brought out the body and the tactical side of me. 
And then I met my third angel who uh, helped me in the cycling world. And he uh, had a very thick French accent and it was meticulously dressed. And he had a presence of being that I wanted to emulate because he seemed to have such a dignity about him. And I wondered about that. And later I found out that uh, he was in a uh, Nazi concentration camp for six years in World War II, exposed to the most hideous uh, cruelty that humanity has perhaps ever seen. And he did not have a venomous bone in his body. So he's the one that taught me humility and humanity. So with those mind, body and soul influences, it uh, drew forth in me a very interesting composite of capacity that uh, I took forward and began my advisory career once I completed graduate school, where I was helping athletes and business people become their own champions. The athletes wanted to win gold medals and make a bunch of money as pro athletes. The business people wanted to become their own champions in the boardroom. And they thought, well, maybe you know something about this, Jeff. And so what they found was is that because I was an Olympian, I knew the nuances of getting to the top and staying there because I had done it. You can't read it. You can't study it and be it. It has to be part of you, which it was in me. And I knew the academics of being able to craft a body that could push when it needed to push and stay in the game long enough to be able to cultivate the assets uh, in the momentum necessary to be a peak performer, creating a, a massive uh, legacy uh, of uh, memorable uh, events that showcase what a person's full potential really is. And then uh, an interesting thing happened is that the uh, athletes that were winning gold medals, I helped athletes win over 50 gold medals and a variety of different sports, et cetera. And the business people that were having their own successes, uh, the athletes said, I need to extend my career. I can't get injured. If I do, I need to get back quickly. And the people in business said, look, I don't want to die in my late thirties or my early forties. Like I see people doing a strokes and heart attacks. Like we do see that quite frequently now, how do I not do that? And so I said, well, I'll go back to school and I'll study that. So I went back to chiropractic college and I got my licensure to handle acute trauma for the athletes and to deal with wellness care for the business people. So I had this three-legged like tripod. Number one, I understood the body and the mind. I understood the academics of crafting a capacity, both mentally and physically to push to get to the top of your game and stay there. And I had the ability to be able to help manage our health and our performance from a physical capacity. Therefore, people saw, well, Jeff kind of knows everything. I don't need to go to 10 different experts. I can go to him and he can craft a personalized path for me based upon what my needs are. And so that's how I got to work with you two. Uh, you know, got to work with Lance at the Tour de France, uh, spent time with you know Tiger. I was on Br Branson's Island, so on and so forth. So that was the, the path to this very high echelon of play that uh, – I've been experiencing ever since that time. So that's the uh, short cliff notes version of it. You know, you know what I love so much about <laughs> you is your fucking humility. Like I love you to pieces, but it's like, if you were in the room where I talk about you weekly, like weekly, <laughs> uh, if not daily, but at least weekly. And if you were a fly on the wall in the room, I'm your best fucking hype man in the world. Like I swear <laughs> to God, yeah, thanks. Man. I could bring you out for your world champion performance and spend 20 minutes talking about you, but you just so casually breeze over. Like I held champions win 50 gold medals, not like no. <laughs> bonus ones. Like, no, like we're talking the Olympic gold medals and you're like, Oh, you too. And Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods and Richard Branson. And I don't know the other hundred people that I know that you coach or that literally are the, 
the leaders of the free world. And so uh, I love that you embody that. And I love that you so subtly pass that over because you, that's what makes you, you. Um, and thank you for sharing all that. I'd actually never heard the the three angels that, that yeah. was new to me. And I love that. Yeah, um, thank you. I absolutely love that. So I'm going to unpack that because there's one thing that I always love talking to you about um, in that whole story. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's probably the one thing that I picked up from you that like I, I would say is the most invaluable thing, which you taught me to truly understand temperance. And when you met me, temperance was not a word that even existed nor did I know what it meant um and half the time you speak I still don't know what these words means like precocious I'll google it later uh but temperance was a big one and I feel like I can attribute so much ease in my life in the last five or so years because of temperance especially as an entrepreneur and you said it earlier you was like uh you were talking about the right effort the right direction at the right time mm -hmm. and I think when I came into this world of entrepreneurship, I didn't have three angels. I had trauma and I'm going to survive. And I was like, cool, let's do 110% every day, even though it's not possible and burn out and do this. And you coach some of the best, and I mean the best in the world, entrepreneurs, Fortune 100 CEOs, the best athletes. How do you look at temperance and what's the best advice that you give people, especially entrepreneurs about like how to understand it, how to dance with it, how to build a relationship with it so that they can perform at their best? Well, actually the, the secret recipe for being able to be a consistent performer to win big uh, consistently, predictably and repeatedly, and also have fun doing it. I might add a couple things you got to do. Number one, you have to know and learn how to win guilt-free mm -hmm. and you need to learn how to conserve energy, not waste time and energy and not blow yourself up. Because if you blow yourself up, then nothing matters because you're not going to be of any value to anybody. There isn't going to be no, well, there will be a legacy. It's like, don't be like me. That's going to be the legacy. So really the idea here is that we take on our skills and our capacity uh, in a well-reasoned, well-paced manner so that the things that we actually learn stick. A lot of people, uh, what they do doesn't stick because they're always racing on to the next thing too quickly, feeling that if they don't do that, they're going to get left behind, but they actually do get left behind because nothing sticks. So mm. despite the amount of time and effort, it doesn't work. And, and so therefore uh, another high risk part of this is that uh, we got about, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years of functional reserve on board and we're draining the tank between our, you know, twenties, thirties uh, and our forties. And eventually in our early 40s, if we don't pay back the debt of poor sleep, pushing too hard too often, we don't feel the tank draining, but yet the tank is draining. And you could be going 100 miles an hour in the fast lane and not realize that you're on fumes, and, but all of a sudden the car stops and it doesn't move. And that analogy applies to us as you know physical bodies and entities as well. So I feel that you know it takes a while to, to learn the gain of winning, uh, winning. It takes time to cultivate and grow ourselves into our capacity uh, and once we get there, then we can start to add the most significant number and magnitude of successes to our legacy and creation. But if we blow ourselves up and we don't get there, you don't finish, you don't win. And I see that as one of the biggest risks that uh, most people inadvertently find themselves in. The, the risks fall into three categories. This usually happens in the late 30s, maybe early 40s. Number one, health event. Something, a stroke or heart attack takes them out of the game. Or it could be a, a, 
a, a devastating relationship failure because the promise is, look, I promise it's going to be different once I get there. It's right around the corner. I know you've been hearing this for 20 years, but, you know, this time I mean it. And so we kick the can down the road of our relationship uh, enrichment and cultivation and honor. And we do the same thing with our health. The promises will get back to it later. Well, there may not be a later, quite honestly, if you don't manage that consistently along the path. And then there's always the risk of uh, catastrophic uh, financial failure, of trying to do too much too quick, uh, misreading the terrain, uh, not pulling back when you should pull back to maybe replenish the team and replenish some resources before you move ahead when you got the wind at your back. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I see that uh, we don't know about that can hurt us. And life doesn't care about what we think. It only cares about what we do. So that's why I say that we have to make sure that we have the proper pacing and the development of us as a human being so that we progressively take on the capacity to do what has to go right to create a memorable legacy and lead a life of value and contribution. And those are what I see to be the greatest risks. And that's all rooted in our failure. We just all believe that if we're not keeping up with everybody else or that we're not either taking our job seriously or that the universe won't believe that we're putting in the effort that it should, so it will withdraw its endorsement of us, um, it's all based on fear is what it is. It's not based on wisdom. It's all based on fear. And unfortunately, very few people get to the top, let alone stay there because they're really making all their decisions out of fear of loss and being left behind, quite honestly. Yeah. And, and so I was going to ask, uh, I love it. I love the toxic thinking. There's a really good book about this. It's actually, um, it's actually toxic action, you know, totally, totally. But when you were, when you were talking about kicking the can down in the relationship of like, I'll do yeah. this when I'll do this when <laughs> I did that for years. And then I read this book and it's a tiny book. It's actually called the little book of clarity Ooh, by good. Jamie smart. And it's a really easy read, but for anybody listening, he basically breaks down toxic thinking and, you know, gets it into it. And I love the, the thought of toxic action as well. And you talk about all this stuff when you think mm -hmm. about, you know, understanding temperance and finding that pacing and not thinking that everything's leaving. What we're really, what I'm hearing is like moving from a place of like fear and reaction to a place of like creation, like I'm creating, I'm controlling my inputs. What do you think as you coach? And I mean, you coach everybody, like, what do you think are the most neglected columns in this dance for people that they ignore the most? Is it their health? Is it their daily practices? Is it their relationship with themselves? Like, what do you see as the common pitfalls that that people fall into the trap of, quote unquote, ignoring because they're pushing it 100% and they're constantly in the office? Or, you know, have you noticed anything there that like we can be aware of so that we don't fall into that same trap? Well, I think it all goes back to the day. If, if you look at the day and you carve the day up into like the way that I look at it when I work with my clients, the, the, the day is made up of basically five different uh, domains, I call them. The first domain of the day is uh, preparation. And this is where before you start to engage people, places, or things, you're actually like you're in the locker room putting on the shoulder pads. You know, you're getting ready to step onto the field when the workday begins. So there are has to be a preparation process because no responsible athlete would ever step onto the field without being properly warmed up. Therefore, we kind of need to do the same. Otherwise, we're going to get left behind or, or actually knocked out of the game uh, uh, unnecessarily, actually. So there needs to be some things that we do in the morning to prepare ourselves both mentally and physically 
to be able to engage the day successfully. The second domain is the first part of the day itself. And in my opinion, in my experience, um, that segment between like, let's say eight and four or 5 PM, that's where we're consuming all the reserves and that's where we're putting in the day's effort. And it's always best to do the hardest things first in the day to get some confidence that we will create a day of productivity and value because that's kind of the fear that we all have that we're going to get to the end of the day and it will be just like yesterday where nothing got done. So if we get things done you know, early enough, at least we've got something in the tank, something in the bank that we can count on. So anxiety drops and we have more confidence in our ability to be able to execute things to have a productive day. And that can be subdivided even further. But once the day is over, then it's time to pull back a bit and start the recovery process. And I think that people don't nearly give themselves the level of uh, respect that the body, mind, and soul require to recover from day to day. And again, once we're done with work, then that's like the pullback. And during the pullback phase, that's where we may want to work out. We may want to clean up a few loose ends. We may want to have a nice uh, uh, recreational uh, period of interface with someone that we care for. That's generally a couple of hours. And the fourth part of the day, which is the second part of the recovery, is where we really want to put it on pause. We want to have a great dinner. We may want to clean up a few things. We may want to get ready for tomorrow. We want to set the tone so that when we get into the fifth domain, which is where we get to sleep and stay asleep, that we actually do get to sleep and stay asleep to be able to recover adequately to get up the next day fully recovered to have another full day. I feel most people, they don't look at the fact that there are five different domains here, kind of three different areas, preparation, putting on the war paint. Number two, you're in the game. That's where the blood flows and there's live ammo. And then there's the recovery side of it. And as long as we respect those things and we pay back the debt day in and day out, then we're assuring ourselves along of a long and prosperous career. I don't think most people do that. Most people, they blow through their reserves. They have about chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, adrenal burnout, whatever. And then they find or make an amateurish mental mistake that costs them a couple of decades of work. You know, all of those things are classic, but I think that it all starts with control of the day, because if you can't control your day, you can't control your life. For sure. I, you know what you you said something like when you when I think about like the three phases of like the preparation, the performance, and the recovery. Yeah. Right in the very beginning, you said the preparation process. Yeah. And and in the whole thing that I heard you say, and and I'm guilty of this, I used to be guilty of this. Is like preparation was going to handle itself, or recovery just happened by accident, or Correct. falling asleep and staying asleep was just because my body was going to do it. And it was like, I'm expecting this world-class performance out of this thing that I'm gifted with this race car, but yet I disrespect it and ignore it at every single stage of the game. And I think somebody else is going to do it. And so when you're saying all that, Jeff, the one thing that like stuck into my brain was process, like an intentional yep. level of process, like the preparation period, something I learned from you right? Pick your morning routine, pick whatever. But like, I have an intentional stillness practice mm -hmm. because one of the hardest things in my life was being by myself because it was so easy to mold into everybody else and hiding little relationships mm -hmm. with myself through other people. And even that I have to prepare for that. Like I have to have a ritual around mm -hmm. it uh, mm -hmm. or else I get nothing out of it. And, and I love that thought of process. I think it's an absolute amazing thing. And, and I would agree with you. Uh, most of the people I run across every single day were like, I'm traveling, right? And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going to do my stillness practice. And they're like, 
I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch TV. I'm like, I have to earn the right to watch Yellowstone. I was like, I will yeah. do it, but I have to earn that right. And the, the other thing that you said, and I want you to expand on this one because I didn't understand this till I met you. You said in those three phases, we're paying back the debt. Yeah. And I fell into the trap of if I don't do anything, then I'm not depleting and I'm not gaining. I'm just neutral. But it took me a long time to realize that if I do nothing, I'm losing faster. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, part of the mythology here, um, you know, as well, is that we're told that in 41 days, you'll have a new habit. That's garbage. Anything that's worthwhile having, like controlling time, uh, controlling energy, controlling the unknown and the unforeseen, uh, all of those things are the direct result of a continuous application of the things that have to go right to sacredly hold that space. Because, I mean, quite honestly, uh, if we want to live a natural life, that's easy. Just be driven by your impulses and your emotions and see how that works out for you. It's not a good recipe for creating a life of excellence and contribution. It's not. You know, anything that's good requires discipline and application. And as long as the good stuff is applied, it doesn't take as much effort to keep what you got as it did to get it in the first place. But as long as the right things are continuously applied, you're going to keep them. But they never self-perpetuate. So we need to get over that myth as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Everybody has this idea that once I get there, I'm going to coast. No, you're not. It doesn't work like that. Sorry. So I hate to break it to you, but that's just kind of like the way that it is. So the idea of kind of paying back the debt as you go by really looking at those three phases that make up, you know, our day to control our day does really set the tone for what that is. And you cannot run this. It's not possible. You cannot unrun, you cannot outrun it. Eventually all of the trespasses are going to catch up. And the worst thing is, is that if you don't cross the finish line, you don't win. And a lot of people uh, I've seen tragically, for preventable reasons, they lose two or three decades of hard effort because they didn't manage the process along the way. And it is a process. It's an application. Life is a verb. It's an application of the stuff that has to go right. And the stuff that has to go right does not come naturally to us. Somehow we think that we should, uh, some people are born, no, it, is, it isn't like that. You know, human nature, it's about lazy, it's about complaining, it's about not taking advantage of the opportunity. You know, the supernatural side of us is that part of us that wants to create a life of value. And the only way that we could do that is by creating a structure that history has proven us that when we do these things, it keeps the momentum moving forward. That's the only way that this game could be played if you want a successful life of productivity, prosperity, and uh, uh, passion that goes along with that. Oh, that one. I'm going to let that one marinate for a minute because, yeah, I, I love it. I, I think it's, you know, it's it's so crazy to me because I have this direct correlation because as you speak, like, I, I share my experience. But I remember, like, there are parts of the Marine Corps that I, I loved and I thrived and there are parts that I hated. I hated the disconnection of it. But when I when I look mm -hmm. back at it from a place of foundational principles or things of practice – is that I was a part of a, a machine, a very well-maintained, oiled, functional machine that went step by step in a series of processes and routines every single day that increased over time as mm -hmm. I did to make me the most effective as I could be mm -hmm. and felt superhuman at mm -hmm. times. Yeah, for sure. 
And, you know, it was something that I didn't understand for a long time because now, you know, I'm almost 40, like looking back and collapsing it all down. I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I made fun of this for so long because there's so many parts of it now that I'm like very humbly bringing back into my life mm -hmm. without making it wrong or not putting it into the military. But I, there was definitely a period for me where I got out where I rebelled the other way. And I was like, I'm just going to go on impulse. And, you know, impulse creates liabilities for me because for it sure. was temporary wins with this false illusion that then created hindsight bias that because I won once, I can win again without changing anything to go into it. Yeah. And, then I, and then I lose and I lose really, really hard and I get hit with one of those catastrophic moments. And, you know, I'm not like most people. I need 25 catastrophic moments to learn my lesson. But those days are gone. Those days are gone. So we're good. I love that. I, I really, really love the segmentation, the breaking it down into the day and the temperance thing. It's still something I think when you speak, Jeff, like one of the things that like. And I'm, I'm processing as, as I hear you, because I've heard you speak so many times, but I take something else different every time. When you speak about these, these processes and you speak about winning and you speak about how human nature is lackadaisical and complaining and kind of like coasting and our supernatural side, our champion side is, is based on intention and it's based mm -hmm. on action. Right. Um, when we live in this world, especially the entrepreneurship world that we live in, the entire paradigm there is suffrage, work harder, hustle harder, sacrifice more, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it's like created this culture that like exacerbated the industrial revolution that we make fun of, which is why we're entrepreneurs. And we like glamorize it. We're like, oh, I gave up working 40 hours a week to week work 100. And there's somehow some claim of like honor in that. But the truth is it's just a tractor trailer train wreck waiting to happen as you go down that road and so it's something that i, I constantly i constantly take from you and i'll never forget and i'm going to ask you about this because um once i understood temperance from you i think the second biggest lesson i learned is that i can only control my inputs and can only run my race and you told this story about when you were in the olympics and you, you said it so nonchalantly, but it had such a profound impact on me. And you're like, when I'm on that line and you're on your bike and you're looking to your left and your right, if you have one ounce of concern for how they're going to run their race, you've already lost before you started. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at the last decade of my career as an entrepreneur, and I can say probably less than 5% of it where I was concerned about running my own race. Mm -hmm. And I was too busy losing because I was watching everybody else run there. So can you give context and unpack that a little bit? Because I think it was one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned. Well, the first thing we need to be mindful of is that there's only one of us in all of creation. You know, there's only one George. There's only one Jeff. There's only one of whoever's listening to our conversation here. And there's been estimated 350 billion people on this planet until this time. And there's still only one of us. Nobody has our insights nobody has our timing, nobody has our place and space and time, nobody has our unique location and history. And all of us are born with a certain something. And when I define what a champion is, a champion is a manifester of gifts. I didn't say a champion won gold medals. I said that a champion is a manifester of their unique gifts. And that's one thing that we all have. So what that does, that levels the playing field. And what I want to say here is that if let's say our objective is to turn a teeter-totter over, you bring the teeter and I bring the grain of sand that, tur that turns the teeter-totter over, who brings the most important part, you or me? 
Well, we both do, you know, so why don't we just look at not the size of what we bring to the conversation, but why don't we look at the impact of what we do as being? And I feel that if we can identify what our gifts are and name them, then we can start to build a life of value and alignment on them where our unique contribution that only we can make will manifest its unique combination to humanity taken as a whole. This is equally important to anything anybody else does. And the one thing that we should always do is not decide what the impact of what our unique contribution is, because the fact is you don't know, but we're pretty good as humans at comparing ourselves against everybody else and deciding our value based upon what we perceive the value of everybody else is. Like, how are you going to influence a billion people? Well, I guess the way you do that is by talking to the first person closest to you and saying something of value that impacts them to take action. So, you know, for example, when I was working in a bike shop as a kid, this guy came in that wore a T-shirt that said USA Olympic team on it. He doesn't even remember wearing the T-shirt. You know, probably the last thing you just grabbed it, put it on. But I saw that when I saw it, I wanted it. So I went home and I drew a picture of it because that was my logo. And I looked at that every day for 10 years. And I looked at it and I, and I drew my plan. And my plan to become an Olympian was simple. I was going to be brave, work hard, never make an excuse. That's what I wrote on this piece of paper that had this T-shirt that I drew. He doesn't even remember it, but that changed my life. So look, you know, our influence, we can't decide what that is because we don't know. And in today's you know electronic world, you say one thing and maybe that influences 100 million people like instantaneously, you don't know. So I feel like our job is is to cherish and nurture and cultivate and grow our greatest assets and not dismiss them. Because sometimes we dismiss what comes easy to us as being insignificant. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's a gift that needs to be cultivated and nurtured. And when we build a life and a career based on it, we're pretty happy. You know, where we get miserable is when we're comparing it against everybody else. Mm -hmm. So first thing I want to start with is that let's make sure that we don't use human nature's interpretation like small or big and decide what that is in advance. Because the, the truth is you don't know. You don't know. It's the fastest way to talk you out of anything of value is to try to decide for yourself what you think that is. Because you know what? You don't know. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion is, is that take a look at your assets and those things that come naturally to you. Build a life on that. Because when you do it, then you're going to be in perfect alignment with your mind, body, and soul. And when that happens, and all of a sudden, the enrichment of life's experience transcends the value that you will perceive that you will get back later from the sacrifice. It's not like that. It's like you're getting paid in multiples as you go through the process because you're in alignment with that which is true to you and that which is of your greatest contribution to other people. So I just say, let's start with that. Let's get really clear on who we are, what our assets are, what we believe to be true about ourselves. Let's align ourselves with that. That's the most important thing in my own mind. So I hope that gives a bit of an insight into how I look at this. It, it, let me say this once again. There's only one of you in all the creation, and that's not an accident in my opinion. Nobody has capacity to do that which is uniquely gifted to us. And I just thought of something I want to share. Please. So Sir Winston Spencer Churchill, uh, who uh, was the principal that concluded World War II, one of the great statesmen, I didn't say politician, I said statement, statesman of all times. 
I don't know why I remember this now, but I read this thing that he wrote. It goes something like this, paraphrased. That there comes a moment in everybody's life that is uniquely prepared for their talents and their capacity. And what a pity it is if when that moment arises, that person isn't prepared for that which could have been their finest hour. So all I'm saying here is that build your skills, have trust in your assets, believe in the vision that's gifted to you, not what everybody else tells you that it should be, but with what you and the privacy of your own experience, like George was mentioning earlier, that he has sacred time to spend with himself and the privacy of his own experience to cultivate and consider his bigger future as it gets as it gets revealed to him because he's in receivership. He's not out there always chasing everything. You're always chasing everything. You're in a hurry to try to get somewhere. And when we're doing that, we can't listen to the whisper. You know, when is the whisper of insight and revelation that connects us with who we really are? When is that going to show up? It's not going to show up with when you're in pursuit of something because you're hyper-focused on everything. You're into your own agenda. You completely shut down the pipeline of creativity and your uniqueness. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all the experts say, you know, you got to work hard. You know, don't take your eye off the ball. You got to stay hyper-focused. I get all that stuff. There's only one problem with that is that it doesn't allow us to connect with the capacity that we can only see through receivership of spending time quietly with ourselves to give the inspiration of the universe a chance to get a word in edgewise. That's all I'm saying. And it's like, if we don't at least give ourselves that opportunity, I don't know how we're going to connect with that, which could have been our finest hour. I don't know how we're going to do it. Yeah. I feel like any summary I give of what you just said is like going to dilute it. I'm just, I'm, I'm like gloating over here. Cause I was like, God, these just are all channeling. so great that I've learned and that I get to experience every day, you know, cause for me, it was for years. I and mean, you said this earlier, it was like, I wanted the world to tell me who to be and how to build a vision that I wanted to build. And I'm like, how are you going to design my roadmap? How are you going to give me any input? And I was like, God, I was advocating even the clarity of my vision to the world and then getting upset that it was clouded and it didn't look like I wanted it to look like. Yeah. You know what? We can get our tactics and our strategies from the experts. There's no question about that. For but, sure. but, but the vehicle, it, it's a very personal journey that really requires a certain level of receptivity and it's never a straight path. Like, what am I going to be when I grow up? I don't know. I still don't know. You know, we kind of have to follow the path in front of us and, and follow our natural curiosity. Mm -hmm. And as we're doing that, we're taking on more and more skills. And every time we take on a different skill or a new vocabulary, where what it does, it recolates our entire capacity to perceive opportunity mm -hmm. and to think bigger in a different way or to be more reverent and more clear about what our, uh, assets are in, in what our uh, inclination towards our gift really is. And so I just really feel that to purposely remove ourselves from the clutter, don't get around too many people saying the same thing, because all they do is get us in a frenzy to hyper-focus even further. And what that does, it doesn't get us further ahead. It actually gets us and takes us further behind. It's actually a back step. It's actually like 
trying to move forward with your foot on the brake. You just can't get there from that place. You just, we have to learn the process. And the greatest fear that we all have is getting left behind. Mm -hmm. We feel that if we're not doing everything, this is another human mythology. You know, our mind is not our friend always. It tells us things that aren't true. Like if you take your eye off the ball, well, then you're going to get left behind. No, you're not. You're probably going to rest up and you're going to be more fresh than you were had you stayed trying to run at the front. When you should have been resting, you were out there running. So again, I feel that when we take the time to deliberately put into our lives that sacred pause, like you mentioned, then it gives the universe a great spirit with a capital S an opportunity to speak into our lives, to give us an insight. And the insights that bring the greatest value, they, don't, they do not speak loudly. They kind of jump onto the radar for a little bit and they're asking, are you listening? And if we're listening, we can see it, we cultivate it, we give it a look, then it is uh, uh, feels like it's in good company. But if it doesn't feel like we're paying attention, then it jumps off and all of a sudden we're back you know, onto the hamster wheel, which there is no future. You cannot outrun yourself on the hamster wheel. It just isn't going to work. Yeah, oh, I've tried. I've no, tried. Leads to bruises, broken bones, and uh, <laughs> then you realize you can just jump out of the wheel and it stops spinning, and it's really easy that way. It's really easy. So one of the, oh God, 8 million ways to go. But the one thing that I heard um, that really resonated with me, and I want to ask about this because I think it's tied. You talked about learning how to win guilt-free. Yeah. And then when I hear you say that, and also talking about our assets and leaning into them and having space to hear the whisper. Uh, and also you even said at 70 years old, you're like, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And sure. I know I've fallen in that trap of, um, a label giving me a false sense of security or knowing because of my own fear of my intuition and my assets. And I think it all boiled down to me that I still practice of like learning how to exist and use my talents and use my gifts and explore what those are without guilt. And they're all kind of tied together. So can you unpack that a little bit of like what you mean, like how to learn how to win guilt free and like, what are some ways to think about and use that? Yeah, I, I will. And you'll notice that that's the first thing that I said is yeah. that to win big, consistently guilt-free, uh, I think there's a, a tremendous amount of guilt that people live with because they feel like, well, number one, it's like if I put time and effort into this, I'll, it'll take away from my family and uh, relationships. Well, it actually may be giving people a template to look at and to realize that you can't just do whatever you want whenever you want. Maybe it's a model that shows us that there needs to be a certain level of responsible restraint applied towards earning our keep in life and earning our good night's sleep. There needs to be a level of structure. So again, there does need to be time away, but I think that it's a valuable teaching uh, moment for our kids. You know, every time they cry, that doesn't mean that we should just put everything down. You know, someone whines and all of a sudden you race home, you know, so I feel that it really is a great learning tool for those around us that there is a structure here. There is a time and effort that needs to be allocated towards certain things to be a contributor in life rather than a taker. Uh, the guilt that we feel, it also forces us, the people that are out there working hard to really ask ourselves, how much of us really needs to be where, when to be able to provide the support necessary, but not to codependent. I mean, sometimes it's like if something goes wrong and we find ourselves maybe at home, staying at home for another two hours isn't going to make any difference. It isn't. 
you know, and history has proven that, but we don't want to leave because we'll feel guilty if we do. But we also know that it's not going to make any difference whether we stay there because it's going to have no additional effect. So it, it forces us to have to learn the relationship where we're not codependenting other people, but we're being responsible to tilling the soil on what's reasonable in terms of where the support is applied and, and where it's appropriately withheld. And that energy is allocated towards other uh, areas that have an equally uh, higher ability to impact other people in other ways. The other part of the skill is that people may feel, well, listen, I have this, uh, I have a gift and other people are not going to like me because I have a gift. I've seen that happen. And so people, they don't want to be accused of getting the advantage or not deserving to win. And there's a lot of people out there that are going to want to make you feel like that. It's pathetic to think like that, but the truth is there are people out there that are like that. They're going to hold you hostage, you know, through manipulation based on stuff that, that isn't real like in my opinion. And we need to learn to know that one of the highest uh, means of showing respect and honoring our past through this dimension is to be a manifester of what our skills and our talents are. That's how I define what a champion really is. And so I think we need to work and dispel that myth as well. Like, how do we be an advocate for our own capacity that we were gifted with? And is it criminal to do that? I don't think that it is. I think we're obligated if we have the talents and the skills to showcase something of high value and bring that to humanity. And it also demonstrates for other people that creating a life of value and contribution is possible. I believe that we're obligated to be able to do that. So let's make sure that we're really clear on where we need to be when, and we're really clear on what the gifts that we're given are and what we're supposed to do with that. And let's also be mindful of what some of the manipulators in life out there will do to try to make us doubt ourselves and manipulate us through guilt. And that's why I say that there's always a process by which we can learn to encounter this. And if you don't experience guilt, then you're probably not reaching enough is probably what my uh, thought would be in terms of that. Uh, there was one other thing that you were going to ask me about as well. Oh, that was that that was perfect. That, actually, it, it leads me into something because when you think about this, like I think about somebody like you, and when you say talk about gifts, right? Like I, I feel like I'm starting to slightly unwrap the present of like what my gifts are, and, and I I know some of them, and I love some of them, and I'm open to learning more, and and I'm excited about it, and it's definitely been a process of like being proud of it and and utilizing it, and like. Um, you, you'll laugh this. I'll send you this and we're done, Jeff. You will get the biggest fucking kick of your life out of this. Um, I was in Costa Rica a couple weeks ago. I was down there doing plant medicine again, staying with Mother Ayahuasca and um, had this incredible week. I was with all men. Robert Glover was there, the guy who wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy. It was this incredible masculine experience. And when I left, one of the guys that I met, he's like, hey, I posted my review on TripAdvisor. Hope you don't mind. And I was like, why are you sending this to me? And he clicked the link and he wrote about me. And he wrote about me in the shuttle being like so annoyingly positive and so <laughs> annoyingly happy. And, uh, you know, I had zero, I had zero anything in my body, but joy, because I was like, I am proud to be that guy. And, you know, you take me five years ago and I'd be like, Oh my God, he doesn't like me, whatever. And it was like this unapologetic. Yes. I'm joyful. Yes. I'm excited. And it was like one of those moments where in real life, I got to experience that like I'm owning one of my gifts and people is one of my gifts. I love people. I love connecting. I love relationships. Well, I look at you 
and I could name a hundred gifts, like a hundred that I see. And as somebody who does this and coaches this, I'm curious what you think the greatest application of your gift has been on this world this far. Well, I, I know that uh, from what people tell me that when they're around me and I speak with them, they have belief that they can do it. Mm. And I never think of it like that, but I just have this uncanny ability to know what to do next, to keep things moving forward, like all things considered. Uh, I have the ability to be able to negotiate the minefield between where we are and where we want to get to. And I know that also because of my experience and being in the game at the highest level for 70 years, there's like nothing that I haven't seen. And so I know how to choose the right thing and peek around the corner and see what's coming to avoid the preventable problem and also seize the best opportunities. I mean, those are for sure like my greatest skill. For example, um, if somebody was in a situation where they were all in, and everything had to go right. There were no options not to get it right. Everything was on the line. You would want me on your team because I could figure that out, but I could also not only know what to do, but I could prepare the people to be execute what had to go right when it had to go right to be able to thread that needle and make that hole in one. I, I know that to be true, but I'll also say that um, it's just a matter of channeling uh, because I'm only speaking through my pattern recognition and what my history tells me to be true. It's not any mental gymnastics. It's not a formula that I have. I, for some reason, I just have this ability to be a really good listener and being able to take all the facts that I'm being, uh, th that I'm asking about and knowing what that means and knowing what to do with that, but then turning the keys over to the person so that they could drive their own car, you know, cross the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally see that. I, I think, and I'm going to leave this a little bit because um, I respect you for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, the list is enormous as I love you to pieces. Um, but one of my, I think the greatest witnesses of your gifts is number one, when you play, uh, you play heart forward every single day no. all the time and you lead with it and it leads to this level of soul. And then you have this willingness not even this willingness. Every time you play, every play is all the way out. And I watched you do it. And I was a witness to the tale of it. And I watched you as an amazing human being step away from the pinnacle of your career to probably create one of the most impactful human beings on the planet and do something that most people wouldn't be called to do. And that's leading your daughter. And I can't do it justice, but it deserves to be heard. And so when I look at you, Jeff, as, as a human, as a father, as somebody with children, as a husband, and as a leader, um, that's what I look up to more than anything, is your ability to pivot and lead your wife and lead your daughter mm -hmm. and to do what you did. And so I would love it if you could give everybody a little bit of insight into uh, the incredible father and also the incredible daughter that you have in your entire family and, and that story. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I'll also say one thing too, is that, you know, when I was a kid at seven, I wanted to become an Olympian. Um, you know, I, I've done all sorts of interesting things. I, you know, I showed my art glass in the best galleries in New York City, uh, best shows in the world as a really, really a well-known artist, uh, you know, very accomplished uh, 
in like a lot of different areas, but that was purely the byproduct of uh, a quest to try to see what was possible in certain areas as I was drawn to. I've never been ambitious for my own sake to either create an illusion about myself and who I am to prove to others my capability. I was never an angry athlete. I never did anything to prove anybody wrong. I just wanted to explore what was out there, but I found that if I remained in that uh, silent, that space of tranquility of being where I was summoning in, in a state of receptivity uh, for something to show up that uh, I was being called into service to create and manifest, I was completely okay with that. Um, it didn't, everything didn't need to be from my vision. You know, I'm okay with that. And quite honestly, that's how I've done my entire life. And that's how I've done anything that people look at and like, how'd you do it? It was because I was receptive and I showed up and I did my part to manifest it. So with that being said, um, at the height of my game, which was when I was 58, I, maybe take, take that back at the height of my game at that time when I was 58, you know, I was playing at the height of my game, you know, I was working with you two and all these other superstars and all that stuff. And, um, so my wife and I were considering adoption at that time. And we uh, ended up, um, adopting a 10 year old from Columbia. And, uh, it was a, a interesting process because we were not willful about gender. We were not willful about age. You know, we really wanted to be connected with the, the right child. If it be that, if it came to that where adoption was a viable option and it did manifest itself. And we didn't just want to save a life. We wanted to manifest a potential and there's a big difference there. And so we were um, paired with a 10 year old from Columbia. And so when we, we went to Columbia to, to pick her up, and we took like legal possession of her for like six weeks. Like it's a test run, should we say, you know, kicking the tires for six weeks. And then everybody votes at the end of the six weeks. You know, do you want to do this or do you not want to do it? The child votes and we vote, but we all, everybody voted, you know, let's do this. And, uh, and so when we got back to the United States, uh, and my daughter became a U.S. citizen, you know, along with being Colombian, of course. I, I, you know, I turned to my daughter and my wife and I said, you know, um, she doesn't speak any English. We don't speak any Spanish. We don't have a language here. And I said, you know, she had no school. She's 10. You know, I, here she is in America where you're supposed to decide your graduate school when you're still in the womb. You know, I said, this, this is a, a formidable foe. She has PTSD and ADHD from the severe abuse, mental and physical abuse that she's had the last 10 years of her life. It's as bad as it gets. She's got a parasitic ridden body. She has every risk factor known to humanity as a 20 on a scale of one. I said, this is a formidable foe, man. This is not child's play. And so I said to my wife, um, you know, I need to, uh, I cannot be as available as I am currently professionally and be your father. So like, therefore starting tomorrow, 90% uh, of my professional life goes away, you know, along with it or income. But I didn't really think about that as a liability. I just looked at what is it that I know has to go right to be of service to 
what we agreed to provide for my daughter. There was no other consideration to barter or make a deal, you know, with the universe or God. Like if I do this, I, it, there was none of that stuff. You don't do that in a situation like this. That That's not fair play at all. And so I, I had to go dark for a while. So I continued to work with a handful of elite clients because I didn't want to be known as the guy that was unavailable because if there was life after this, I didn't, I wanted to maintain my level of credibility. So I just kind of went dark and disappeared for about 10 years. Uh, still stayed in contact. Um, it, hardest 10 years of my life, uh, bar nine. I, the Olympics is like easy compared to that. Easy. And um, my wife cried every day for nine years and 10 months. It was so difficult. It's hard to understand or fathom uh, the behaviors of child, of children that were abused. They didn't ask for that. My daughter did not ask for that. That was imposed upon her. And I think about that. I think about that a lot. And so um, kind of being the gold medal sort of guy that I am, I'm not really thrilled and I'm not in a hurry to win a silver medal. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but that's not the calibration, that's not the goal. You know, I'm sort of a gold medal guy inside and out. And so um, whatever had to get done, we did. Uh, and uh, so um, I'm proud to say that 10 years later that she graduated from college, you know, where nobody in her family ever graduated from elementary school. And that's a great testimony to her but. We worked really hard. It seemed like we had a staff of 30 people. God, there were coaches, there were psychologists, there were psychiatrists, there were um, tutors. I mean, there was like everything on staff, not to try to take her place of what she should be doing, but to keep her in the freaking game, you know, just so she could freaking keep in the game. The liabilities of what she had were so insurmountable and you can't play a half a game. It's not possible. You can't save something for later. It's not the way you play the game. It's like, whatever it is, you go all in. And so what I learned from this was this, is that number one, you can love anybody. You don't need a special reason to love anybody. It isn't like, what am I gonna get from this? It, it isn't that. You just make a decision that you're gonna do it and you do it. You don't need a special reason. It helps us get over ourselves in our pity potty for ourselves and the challenges that we've had. Just, you know, shut the fuck up on this stuff. Just do what's got to get done, okay? So what? You know? Real. you know, so that's the first thing, man, in to be able to have somebody, you know, wrap their legs around you and stick their head in your chest, you know, where you give them a hug in the morning like a little monkey, knowing that they, it's like they've never been hugged. That was my daughter, you know? I mean, it's already a greater privilege to stand in the presence of that. I, I just don't believe it. I, I do not believe it. And so I also learned that, you know, you got to trust the process because, you know, in life there are sort of no guarantees and sometimes your back's against the wall and you don't see a way out, but you don't worry about that so much. You think about, well, what's the one or two things that have to go right? Because as long as I'm doing the one or two things that have to go right, whatever is meant to be is going to be. You know, you don't, I think you have to hold that space continuously. You don't really need to know about the future because there's no time to think about it. 
you just do whatever it is, you know, and you don't try to hold on to something that you think you need for later. Cause you don't, you know, I mean, look, everything that you think you need, you probably don't need, you know, it's probably a good thing if you give everything up anyhow, cause you're going to feel a lot less liberated. And the other thing I'll say too, you know, we have this idea Superman was invincible, right? Well, kind of what I learned about invincibility is that when you give up everything that you think that you do, that you need, and you find out you don't need anything, and nothing's going to hurt your life, then that's sort of its own kind of invincibility. And I felt like I kind of got some of that, because quite honestly, I could live in a corner of a room right now, I could go to sleep on a cot every night, and I would be really happy, not because of what I got through, but because I still got my own brain, and I could be creative. I like the idea of getting up with some freedom, and with some energy to be able to help influence and impact people's lives for their better future. You know, I, I, I also learned, um, that, um, you always hold space for a miracle. Mm -hmm. You never, ever, ever give up. You always hold space for it. You can't command it into existence. You can't barter for it. You can't be a better person to get it. You can't earn it. It's a gift that's given to you. You have to always keep space for the miracle. And those are the things that I remember at this time that I gained from that. And I believe that that's probably the most important, valuable experience that I've ever had for this reason. Every one of us is capable of a lot more than we believe ourselves to be. But the deal is here, if life's too good, there's no reason to ask a different set of questions that takes you into a different level of introspection to ask the questions of who am I? What am I doing? Unless you have that rite of passage, it's very unlikely that you're ever going to produce your best work. That's why on the, over, on the other side of sometimes our worst moment is where people then produce their best work because they've asked that set of questions. I know that we think that we want an easy life, but you know, the reality of it is you don't because the worst thing that could ever happen to you is too much domestication. When you get domesticated, that's the moment that your life is over. We all think that only if I had a million dollars, I could retire and be happy. It could be the worst moment of your life because that's the moment where you start to slide off into oblivion as you continuously deteriorate because you're no longer in the game. You know, there's something about being in the game. There's something about getting up and kind of the guerrilla warfare that's necessary to believe that you can find a way. As a matter of fact, you know, when we look at the instincts, I looked this up the other day. I said, oh, let me look up and see what the experts say. Usually when I hear an expert, I run for the exit. But <laughs> in, in this case, I, I wanted to see what they had to say about um, instincts. And one of the instincts was seeking. I didn't know that. It's like seeking is a primal instinct that we have. So what does that tell us? It means that we're born creators. It means that we're never going to be content. You may have noticed this, is that when you think that you're going to get to some place that uh, promises nirvana or the promise, like it isn't there when you get there. Yeah. Because there's this kind of drumbeat, you know, there's this primal, primal drumbeat that, that's continuously calling us to next, not because we're restless, but there's something about the continual evolution of us and the continual process of creation, that's the drumbeat that we should be living by. So that's the story of my daughter. And let me uh, in my daughter's story with this is that I mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of putting on the armor as you prepare for the day. To me, the most important question we can all 
and should ask should be asking herself is how am I going to show up today? Like, am I going to show up and make everybody pay for the life that I wish that I had that I don't? Or am I going to get beyond that? Am I going to give everybody the best that I've got unconditionally without any expectation of reciprocity? To me, that's the only way to do it because had people showed up differently for my daughter, rather than the physical, yeah, physical, in every sense of the word, abuse, and the mental abuse that they imposed upon her. And she's a good kid, man. She did not ask for that. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm contributing to everybody else today? And what is it that I'm saying about humanity taken as a whole? I don't think there's anything more important than that. If you want to know the truth, nothing else matters. You think anybody cares about your portfolio? You think anybody cares about your watch? You can give a crap about that at a certain point. It's really about you. And what do you say in the presence of yourself with maybe out a word being spoken? It's about freaking you and it's how you radiate. That's the value. And if you show up from that, then all the other stuff, like it doesn't matter, but you're going to get it anyhow for free, right? But it doesn't matter. And you're going to make that uh, impact on a billion people more likely because of how you showed up. And so that's why, to me, it's the most important question anybody should ask every day. And you should make a conscious, a conscious decision on how you're going to do it. Because that's how we heal ourselves. That's how we heal humanity. That's how we gift others. And that's how we show other people what's possible. So other than that, it was a pretty average experience. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love you so much. And I love I love that in an hour I got a one F bomb out of Jeff and it came with the most I did, perfect. Man. It squeaked out. It, just, it, it, it never squeaks. I get him occasionally and I was like, it came at a perfect moment. I was like, yes. And of course I heard it. I like I internally celebrated like we're cheerleader over here. I was like, yes, we're in flow. We're channeling. We have passion. We are out here. And he That's dropped right, an F bomb. Yeah. That's funny, man. Oh, um, yeah, Jeff, uh, I, I just, uh, the only thing I can say, uh, is thank you. Yeah. Just thank you. Well, thanks. It's easy um, to do, man. Channeling's easy. Yeah. But just thank you for being you. Thank you for showing up the way that you do. Thank you for accepting the gift of the message. Thanks for hearing the whisper. Thanks yeah. for pursuing the direction of the whisper. And thanks for constantly showing up from a place of love and gratitude and compassion and empathy and potential and living as that gold medal man yeah thank I you could, you know i could interview you for fucking 25 hours in a row <laughs> and i you felt and I, every second of it too and know? i was like and you and i have spent many many times together where we just yeah. talk and talk and talk and i love it um but i think it's time to put a bow on this one my heart is full uh i'm gonna end this and go do some breath work and shed some tears because i yeah i have an overwhelming feeling of love and gratitude yeah. in my body and um yeah, something something in this tattooed my soul today, and I just appreciate it. And so, uh, no gimmicks uh, for everybody listening. Um, if you don't know Dr. Jeff Spencer, if you've never heard of Jeff Spencer, uh, and you don't want to hear anymore, you should probably never listen to my podcast again. But if you don't know who he is and you've never heard him, find him and find him everywhere. I'm going to highly recommend that you go to Jeff's website. It's Dr. Jeff Spencer. So Dr. J-E-F-F and then S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com, Dr. Jeff Spencer. And then I'm going to recommend that you Google his fucking name and find him everywhere and consume everything he puts out and every video you can find and the champion's blueprint and his roadmaps and his philosophies and his programs. 
uh, because Jeff, you have had an instrumental role in my life and every single human being that I've ever brought into contact with you has left improved and talks about it to this day. And so publicly in front of every single human that listens to this podcast, I just want to say thank you again. And I will be thanking you for as long as I can for being the man that you are. And so for everybody listening, find Jeff, connect with Jeff, go to Jeff's website. And then Jeff, um, I'm going to let you tell everybody kind of how to find you, but I wanted to say it first. So go ahead. Well, I, I think you said you couldn't have said it better. It's just okay, cool. uh, uh, drjeffspencer.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, just you can fill out an application. There's no obligation on that, but that's the only way to get to me. And I can honestly say that anybody uh, who's a friend of George's is an automatic friend of mine. I'd love to hear from you. And George, I'll, I'll come, finish up here by saying is that there's always room at the top of the best. I just want to say that, you know, there's always room at the top of the best. There's always a path forward. Uh, I hope that our conversation has shed some light on what it is that the prolific achievers of our era know that most people don't. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks, George. And most of all, I just love you to pieces. Oh, the, it's mutual. And for everybody listening, I will be dragging Jeff to one of the events. He will be in Montana or Austin or somewhere because his presence is a gift to all of us and, and we will make it happen. And so, Jeff, thank you. Um, please do me a favor. Give your wife a big hug for me because I've been here for like two years. I will. Um, and then uh, for everybody listening, uh, go check out Jeff's website, um, <clears throat> fill out his form, get his, get his lead magnet. I mean, everything that you put out is absolute gold. And I want everybody here connected because there's some stuff coming down the pipe as well. And any way to have Jeff in your corner is the best way. And so go to drjeffspencer.com. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a review. And actually, make sure you let Jeff know. And by the way, Jeff, I have to say this. If I ever just get really bored with doing what I'm doing, I'm going to launch a fortune cookie business with Jeff, just Jeff Spencer. Saying. That's it. Like, that is it. And I might find a different modality. Like maybe I'll make like a gluten-free fortune cookie or something healthy that like helps champions or I'll make like an energy powder or something like that. But I could build an entire business and career on just your tweetables. And so That's for funny. that, I'm eternally grateful to have job security because I have enough recorded <laughs> footage of you to keep me in business. And That's so well said. for everybody listening, uh, remember, and it's been validated in this conversation that relationships will always be the algorithms and at the core of everything that we do. And so I might see you or you might hear me in the next episode, but either way, this has been another episode. Jeff, thank you for being here. And without further ado, Let's cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.